If you study Job, it's in three parts. There's a prologue that we see in chapter 1 and 2. And then based on what happens, and we're going to see this today, there's this, this, uh, the next part's a dialogue. There's a dialogue between Job and his self-righteous friends. And then there's this dialogue that Job has with God. And then at the end is an epilogue. And so we're looking at the prologue. Now I know this is a lot of scripture that's here, but this is God's word, and you've got to read it all to kind of get the context. So follow along with me as I read. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came along with them. And the Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. And then Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the works of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. Stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And there came a messenger to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. And the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them and struck struck down the servants with the edge of the sword and I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was speaking, there came another and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house. And it fell upon the young people, and they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Excuse me. Then Job arose, and he tore his robe, and shaved his head, and he fell on the ground. And worshiped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before, before the Lord, and Satan also came along uh, among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him on the earth, 
a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. He still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. And then Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin, all that a man has, he will give up for his life. Stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand. Only spare his life. And so Satan went out and from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, and he took a piece of pottery with which to scrape himself while he sat in his ashes. And then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God? And shall we not receive evil? And all this Job did not sin with his lips. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. We thank you for Job, a man who was after your heart, a man buckled over by calamity, tragedy, a man who was bewildered, a man who never really knew why these things did happen throughout his life. Lord, we shall see what is at the heart of who he is. Lord, as we talk about leaders, of course we want leaders who submit to you, who worship you, who love you. But Father, I'm sure that there are those who are here who might never be leaders in the church, might not be called to do that. Leadership's not a badge of, of honor or because someone is godly but gifted. So I'm sure there might be those who are here, I know without a doubt, probably in every row who are Bewildered. Bewildered by you, bewildered by their circumstances, know that there's real evil in the world, it's intelligent. And yet trying to understand things at a horizontal level is absolutely mesmerizing, it's confusing. Father, the point of this whole book is that there's no way to understand evil at a horizontal level. Indeed, Father, you alone lie in mystery. And you are sovereign over all that takes place. And Lord, we do find comfort in that, even though, like Job, we might never know why. In our own lives, things have happened. So, Father, as we kind of talk about leaders, I, I want this to be relevant to all of us. Father, I pray you comfort those who are hurting today. Those who are thinking about leaving their spouses or believing their marriage will never change or worried about how they're going to pay the mortgage on Wednesday or just maybe got news that they have cancer. Lord, would you comfort your people? And Lord, would you challenge us to understand the gospel in such a way that we would yield? 
For we know that it's the goodness of God that leads to repentance. And we need to know you're good. So we ask that you would bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. As I said last week, and I want to reemphasize this morning, that this is a very important year in the life of Redeemer. This is an important year. All years are important. Some years are more important. Uh, We're bringing Clay and Liz uh, to plant a church. And and it's amazing how as soon as they get here, it's like the leash is (laughs) let out. And they have the first day they were in the emergency room with two or three strep throats and <clears throat> but it's also important because we are, we are choosing elders that, that we want to have this, this, this vision for reaching and equipping. And we want to choose men <clears throat> who love Christ and His church the way Jesus loves His church. And maybe more importantly, we want to have men who understand that God loves them in spite of the leaders they are. There's no energy apart from that. Over the years, I've discovered that a lot of people wait to join Redeemer. And, and the reason they do, um, it, it, as I, I think it's legitimate. They, they have told me, well, we really want to know what your leaders are like. I mean, the word Presbyterian means elders. If you, so if you want to know what that, the word Presbyterian, we're run by elders, not just by pastor. Representative government and all that good stuff. But it's almost like people are intuitive about something that whoever gets nominated and goes through training will pound in their heads. And not only is it pounded in the heads of new elders, but the ones we have, the deacons and the women's leadership, that so goes leadership, so goes Redeemer. And so the question is, what kind of leaders will we choose? From among us, we have to be careful. I could have gone to a lot of different texts. I could have uh, <clears throat> gone to Nehemiah, thought about that. A real easy one is 1 Timothy 3 and Titus because it talks about the qualifications of an elder. And we could talk about the qualifications of an elder. But yet at the same time, sometimes you look at the qualifications. And if you have those qualifications, but you don't have the Holy Spirit, then you're just a moralist person. And so uh, Gary Todd, I have to give him credit on it. He said, you know, have you ever thought about Job as a book on leadership? And I said, no. And he said, well, I never had thought about it until I read Bruce Walkie. So I started reading Bruce Walkie. And so I'm looking at Job. And the reason I want to look at Job is because here in the life of Job, we find a man who submits to God in spite of all the things that come into his life. And so we're going to look at him. But this is going to be relevant to all of you, even if you're an unbeliever here today. And, and, uh, and if you're here and you're seeking to know the gospel, we're glad that you're here. And we don't want you to now go, oh, this is about Christian leadership. So what we did last week in review in verses 1 through, through 5, we, we saw that, that Job was a great man. In fact, it says uh, in verse 1 that he was a, the greatest man in the East. And then in verse 8 that we just read in our text... What God says about Job is he was the greatest man on the earth. And we see, we saw a lot of things about why he's great. He had a lot of stuff. He was very gifted. He had a bunch of cows and camels and goats and sheep. I guess that would mean like a nice 501, uh, 401k or whatever. Now you know how much I know about. <laughs> now you know where I am uh, financially. 
<laughs> but, but, uh, but then we also saw, saw though, that, that he, was a, he was a man of integrity, that he was blameless. When it says he feared the Lord, you know what that means? That he, the word fear the Lord means he was in awe of God, and you'll never be in awe of God if you don't study who God is. So he's a man who knew God. He pacted his life. Nothing trivial about this man. It says that he fled evil, but then it went on to say, we looked and said that he was, a, he was a happy family man, that his brother, I mean, his children are always getting together. It's three sisters and seven brothers, and they're celebrating, but he was always concerned about their celebrations. And he was concerned that it was not about the stuff, and all the stuff, he, he didn't want anything to become in the way of their relationship with God. And so, you know what he did on a continual basis? And let me say this to you who are dads. He rose up every day and he prayed for his kids. Continually. Of course, none of us do that the way we should, and probably Job didn't do that the way he should. But anyway, that's who we looked at. And you know what? The problem with the sermon last week, there's a problem with it. And the problem with the with sermon last week is <clears throat> because I didn't finish the sermon, and my wife uh, would lovingly kind of rebuke me about that. She's like, you need to kind of get through these things. And I, I do manuscript everything, but, my, you know, have a lot to kind of download, so I must confess. And because, because I didn't finish the sermon, I, I was n- never able to get through to the gospel. And so you could have walked away from here thinking, well, we need to choose men like, like Job. I'm not that guy. But we need to choose people like Job. Uh, But the problem with uh, thinking that this is the point of the sermon is that we could end up choosing good men, moral men, but never really know the motives behind their goodness. You ever thought about about your elders? You ever wonder, I wonder why they're so good or nice. In fact, for some of us, probably me included, our drug of choice is not marijuana, prescription drugs, Alcohol, our drug of choice is to be respected, to be a leader. And so we choose the church to be the place to do that. And so we, we, we desire to be good men. Now, it seems like that's the, the real issue that Jesus had to deal with, didn't he? That kept everybody, all these poor broken people from Jesus Christ. Are these Pharisees and religious people, people who seem to be upright and good men, And if we're not careful, we can choose men just like that, and those men will destroy the sheep. What is your problem? Just read your Bible. Get up and pray. And uh, the early bird gets the worm. And there you are, just laying around at 9 or 10 o'clock at night. I mean, in the morning. Well, some of you, 9 o'clock, 10 at night, I guess. But Now, if you walked away from the sermon last week thinking... Job was a great man of faith, good man. And matter of fact, I would love to be a leader, maybe a redeemer, and, and, but man, I, you know what? I'm, I've so screwed my life up. Let me tell you something. I, I want those leaders. I want those leaders who know they have great need for Jesus Christ. Men who are looking to Christ, and by that, they're being transformed uh, by the gospel. So if I confused you last week, I, I'm sorry. If I made you feel like, when somebody came and said, man, that sermon was really convicting, I was like, ah, 
What, of the gospel? Well, I didn't really preach it last week. Did I? And so it's important we go back to our text and we go, well, well what, what does a gospel-centered man look like? What does a Christ-centered man look like? And we certainly see that in the life of Job. Job was a man who had this unwavering belief in this, and this is what you've got to understand. In God's hesseth love for him, God's covenantal faithfulness to him. One like he was trying to be a good man because if he didn't, then God wouldn't bless him and wouldn't have a lot of stuff. We'll to see that this stuff's not really what matters. It's not what matters. It's not the ministry. It's believing that God has made a promise to him. And God will be faithful to him in spite of himself. It's the kind of men we need. Now here's where we are now. We, 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 we're now in scene two and we're in heaven. And you probably out there going, what does it mean that Satan was there and everybody's in front of God? And this Let me tell you, uh, that's not the point. Even though he was really there. There's a real person named Satan. There's real evil in the world. And so Satan appears before God and these angelic beings. And so God says, well, where have you been? He's walking, been, walking to and fro in the earth. And so then this dialogue begins of, of uh, but if you consider my servant Job, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about what, is the, what was going on in that conversation. But the fact of the matter is, is, as we look at this, we see that Job was not only on the radar of a God who is loving and merciful and saw him as the greatest man on the earth, but he's also on the radar of Satan. And then all hell breaks loose on Job. Now, as I come to our points, let me ask you this. Leader, not leader, Christian, non-Christian. Nominal Christian. Don't know if you're a Christian. What's going on in your life? And how, how are you responding? Becoming more cynical? More pulling away? No joy? The life's been sucked out of you. Maybe it happened a long time ago. Well, God doesn't want that to happen. And so as we talk about the kind of leaders we need, I want you to think about this in your own life. And, and here's uh, what I want us to look at. And here's the question. One, why would God allow Job to be tested? He was a good man. And then secondly... How does Job respond? I mean, that's very important that, that, that we respond the same way that he does. I mean, how are you responding now to these calamities that are coming in your life and you're bewildered and you've got wife and kids and you lose your job and you don't know what's going to happen? And far be it that God seems to be sovereign, there's absolute chaos in your life. And then finally, what can we learn from Job's response. Why did he respond the way he did? This is very important. And again, I'm going to tell you, this is not just for leaders. It's for Christians, but it's also for you if you're not a Christian. Now, how are you responding uh, to these things in your life? 
And the first is this thing to see is, why would God allow the testing of Job? Isn't that the question that's there? Why would God allow this to happen? Why does even God bring this thing up? We'll see that in a moment. But the first thing that we see is clear from our text that God allows suffering in the life of Job. Do y'all see that? Have you considered my servant Job? And of course, later we learn in chapter 2, God is saying, why, did, why would you incite me against Job? So ultimately, Satan is the one uh, who is being permitted and allowed to do what Satan wants to do to prove Satan's point, And that is that the only reason Job serves you is because of the stuff you give him. Good question, isn't it? Well, now, that's a legitimate question. Maybe that's why you serve God. Maybe that's why you quit serving God. A lot of Reformed people, trust me, I mean, we can choose, choose men who've been successful and da-da-da-da. It's got nothing to do with spirituality. As I thought about this, uh, about the suffering that we see Job, you, do you know Job's not the only one that suffered? Did y'all notice that? I mean, if, like, especially if you're a cynical type person, you're going, yeah, it ain't just Job. Here are all these servants. And they probably had wives and husbands and children. Children got caught up in this cosmic uh, question of what we call a theodicy, the justification of the goodness of God and justice of God in light of all the evil that's there. I think about this, how we've become desensitized to that. Um, I like to watch this show, Blue Bloods. Because it's a nice Irish Catholic family. It's very interesting if you've never seen it, sit around the table and talk about all the problems of good and evil in the world. But one of the things about that show or any other show, everybody's getting killed on that show. You ever thought, you know, you get killed? But then here's this guy, and he's, he's down there bleeding two or three people, and then he, they die. And, uh, but you know, it, it, all these movies, I don't care how great they are, how these, these TV shows, they're, they're stripping away all the rippling effect. Of what happens, well, well, this person that's there that uh, we didn't even know the name of this person, they were just somebody got killed. Well, they had an aunt and an uncle, a mom and a dad and children and, and the effects down the line. One thing is for sure, we know that there's uh, suffering and, and pain that's in this world. And so, when the, so the reason I believe that Job, and I read a lot about this, Job, I believe, is one of the oldest books in the Bible is because from the get-go, People are asking this question. Why do these things happen? You know, this whole theodicy thing, the, uh, kind of trying to uh, uh, defend God in light of evil in the world, there's a lot of world religions that do this. Like in the East, as well, it's just bad karma, right? What goes around comes around. Uh, my wife and I are going through the... Uh, Lowe's several months ago. and So people ask me how I'm doing. I'm very sincerely. Y'all probably heard me say it, but I really mean it. I always say, I mean, I'm better than I deserve. And so this, this gal who was taking up the, uh, the collection, taking up my money, credit card, <laughs> she very self-righteously said to me, I am so sorry you feel that way. I said, well, why do you feel sorry for me? And she said, because I believe in karma. And, uh, and I'm not trying to knock that. I'm really not trying to knock that. But I just got through reading an article by uh, Bono uh, of uh, YouTube, and, 
and uh, he, he wrote an article about karma. And so I quoted him, and, and he said, well, you, the problem with karma is uh, karma can be a, and fill in the blank, I can't say that. But I told her that. <laughs> and she said, uh, so, so, but, but I told her, I said, but there is no grace in karma. But for those like myself who go, I, I, listen, I'm better, I'm, get, I'm getting better than what I deserve. You know what? There's grace for those. And so everybody's trying to deal with this issue. The religious person, here's the religious people that are out here. If you're non-Christian, you maybe run into them here at Redeemer. I don't know. But they're going to go, here's how their solution is. Well, if there's a problem out there, I just need to try harder and be better. And if I'm good, then I'll be blessed. And if I'm not good, I'm not going to be blessed. And that's the way a lot of y'all think. So there's no energy in that. There's no grace in that. There's no hope in that. All you're doing is just a very shallow person. And it doesn't lead to this great life, this life of faith and trust. It leads to a life of pathologies. Then the people who aren't religious, uh, you people who are here, maybe you're, just, you're not anything, uh, you, you, the way you deal with the problem of evil is, is just, you go, well, man, it is what it is. Life's out of control. There's nobody in control up there. Uh, Martin Heidegger, who was a philosopher, I remember reading back in, uh, way back in the 30s and 20s, he was a German philosopher, and uh, he, he, he was known for this term called the Dasein. And the Dasein is, is, the, is the German word throne. And so people back in the 30s, and they would talk about the Dasein, and basically his, thing, his teaching was, hey, you're just thrown out there in the universe, good luck, buddy. And so rather than dealing with reality, uh, there is this, uh, you know, just go play video games. Uh, you know, just uh, drink a lot. Don't think about it a lot. But let me tell you, that's not fulfilling to the human soul. Can we all agree to that? Can you all, all agree on being a religious person and living in pathologies and trying hard and being good? Or just denying reality? Because there's real suffering in the world. And by the way, if you're not asking those questions, let me tell you what. You are either a very shallow person or you're a very young person. Let me explain what I mean by that. Tomorrow I bury my Aunt Mamie. I love my Aunt Mamie. 91 years she lived. In July I buried my aunt. I did her funeral, Aunt Doris. Lived 84 years. A few years earlier than that, I'm, I'm reading Romans 8 to my father, who I never knew where he was spiritually. Romans 8. And I'm looking him dead in the eyes I'm reading, and I watch the life go out of him. You see, I'm older. And so either you're going to just deny reality, or you're going to face exactly what these providences are that come into your life. And that's what Job does. And we're especially perplexed when things happen to good people, aren't we? Now, I love, I, I love you, good, bad, indifferent. I really do. But sometimes some of you folks that I are just a delightful people, be honest with you, I love you, and I, see, I think you all love the Lord, and you bring life, and you're not just always upset about stuff. 
And I've seen waves of things come in upon you. And as your pastor, I say, Lord, would you please let those people up? Would you be kind to these people? Why, why are you allowing one thing after the other uh, come into their life? And so in the midst of this, uh, Satan comes to God and he says, listen, let me tell you why Job serves you. The reason Job serves you, and it's a very cynical question, but it's one that a lot of his children ask of, not, of Christians that they don't get Christians. Why does he serve you? Is it because of all the things? And so God is going to make the point to Satan a point he cannot understand, and that is this. Job will love me for me. For my sake. As we come to this second point, let me, let me ask a couple of questions. If God were to come, if Satan were to come to God today, this morning, would he say to you, have you considered my servant blank? Fill in your name. Because you see, there, there's a sense where uh, the people who are often the most bewildered and yet, and yet wrestling are those who are Christians because I really believe that the more you want to move toward Christ and understand the gospel, the more Satan wants to take you out. I hate to tell you that, Clay. Um... But some of, but you know, if you're not like if you're not really that interested in Christianity, or you're a Christian but you never share your faith, or you're a Christian but you're just always complaining and griping, and I, he does not need to be on your his. You do not need to be on his radar. And if unexplained calamity and tragedy and disasters have come into your life, and are coming into your life, will you worship God? For no other reason than you know he's good and you know his covenant law. So that's why, you understand, that's why this, 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 is, this is here. This is why these things come. Because God justifies himself in that Job knows me and that I'm covenantal and I'm faithful and I'll always be faithful. You're bored with that? You don't know God. You're checking out on me? I'm telling you, you have no idea of the calamity that's going to come in your life. And maybe you're, you're going through it and you're going, I don't know. I really don't know. I, trust me, I get that because I've had many times in my Christian experience where I'm like, Lord, nothing makes sense. Like when my brother committed suicide. My first month in the ministry. My first month in the ministry. Oh, so you're sovereign. Or you're good. What will I do with this? Well, you see, the testing is to go, but you know, Lord, I know you're all powerful. I know you're all good. You know why? Because I know you. So how does Job respond? Just see that in this text. Now, I had to read the end of the next chapter because there's five things that come. So, Boom, let him, so he lets him go. He says, you can, take all, you can take his stuff, but you can't take him. You can't touch his life. So in the first four, do y'all see all these calamities that came? And apparently they came on the same day. The Sabaeans. So they kill the servants and the livestock are gone. 
There's a fire from heaven. Maybe there was lightning and it was a brush fire. And uh, so he loses uh, his sheep and his servants. Uh, then there's the Chaldeans who come and they raid evil, right? We don't like evil, do we? Until we don't deal with ourselves. But here are these guys that are coming in there and they take everything away. They take all this stuff. They stole it all. And then this uh, great storm comes and his ten children who are having a great time being together, he loses it just like that. And I, it, from reading this text, it seems as though that happened on the same day. Does that kind of read that way to y'all? And so the question is, how does he respond? What well, does he respond? Well, praise the Lord. Is he a stoic like a lot of us are? I tend to be that way sometimes. To be stoic. You know what stoic is? You just accept it and you kind of guard yourself. You don't let the, your children bend in pain or so. You don't, you don't. But the, at the heart of stoicism is selfishness. I, I just can't deal with this. So you can medicate yourself or you just live by yourself or you just stay by yourself. But you don't want to enter in because to do so is to bring pain into your life as you enter into the lives of other people. But what does he do? You know our text tells us he did? He just tore his clothes. Maybe he had a greater understanding of life and the, and the magnitude of life than we do. Because when somebody you know, dies, we do. We might cry and weep. We don't tear our clothes. We think somebody's nuts. But he weeps, doesn't he? But in the midst of that, it says that he worshiped God. And then not only does it say he worshiped God, it says that he remained silent. He spoke not a word against him. Not because he's a stoic. I mean, he's ripping his clothes. He's shattered. He's absolutely shattered. You know, a psalm that meant a lot to me. Uh, Fritz Schaefer, you asked me one time what my favorite verse was in the Sunday school class. Remember that? And I said, ah, they're all great to me. I know them all. Um, now, you know, I, when I started thinking about that, it's, it's Psalm 73. Whom have I in heaven but thee, but there, and there is none upon the earth that I desire besides thee. My heart and my flesh faileth, but God is the uh, strength of my heart and my portion forever. Okay, that's, that's what the psalmist works out. But the reason that meant a lot to me is after I'd been a Christian a couple of years, I'd gotten to the point like, whoa, wait a minute. It is not worth being a Christian. Because <laughs> this process has taken place. God knew when I was 18, 19 years old that I'd be your pastor one day. And he did not want me to be an arrogant pastor, which I, I can still be. And, and so I'm devastated. I'm thinking, why is all this stuff happening? And of course, you know how uh, the... the the psalmist uh, works it through. But before he get, get, works it through, he stops and he says, In vain have I kept my hands clean. But then he says this, If I had spoken thus, I would have betrayed, betrayed the next generation. And I, I knew that even though I couldn't understand what God was doing, the thing that kept my mouth silent is because I knew down deep, I knew down deep that I was united to Christ. And then my greatest need had been met. Christ had died for my sins. And though I didn't understand why all these things were happening in my life. I'm not saying I'm a great guy. Don't get me wrong. This is the grace of God. You understand this is what Job understood at some level, even though he didn't understand everything. He said, it's the grace of God. God is good to me. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. 
But not only do we see that God takes away all his possessions and Satan comes back. Let me tell you, you know what you learn about it? Satan is persistent. He comes back again. And he's still cynical. And God has asked him, Job, why have you incited me against my servant Job for no reason? And that's real evil, isn't it? People maybe here who just do stuff to people for no reason. But Job says, I mean, that's Job. I mean, Satan's very cynical. And he says, oh, listen, he knows. Listen, okay, you took his stuff. But he's more interested in himself than he is his wife and children. You see that? He said, let me touch him in his body. And so he touches him in his body, right? And so on top of everything else, he's lost everything. And he's just absolutely in misery, just sores and... And then his wife. What do we learn about his response in that situation? I want to be fair to Job's wife. Uh, I've, I've had some communication with some people. We've been discussing Job's wife. Job doesn't call his wife foolish, does he? I think his wife is so discouraged. She's lost her children. Apparently she was a great wife. She was the Proverbs 31 wife. That's why all these kids loved each other. But here it is, relentless, relentless, relentless. And even though she might have been a great theologian, she has just gone, why don't you just curse God and die? Can we get this misery over with? And you know what Job says? So not only does he worship, he submits. He says, honey, you're, you're, not, you're not talking like yourself. You're talking like the foolish women. Shall we not receive what is good from God's hand? I mean, shall we receive what is good and, and, and not evil? In all this, he did not speak against God. Yeah, I will come to my last point. Let me tell you, I want those kind of men. I want those kind of women to be in leadership positions at Redeemer. Not those who are like, yeah, life's great, this is good. And you end up being a clique and you hang around the Christian people you like to hang around with, but you're never going to hang around poor people. You know, I can just find it's great being a Redeemer. Things are good. But now you know what? I'll tell you what. When life uh, happens to you and your children are rebelling and this is happening and that's happening and your husband's uh, depressed or whatever it may be, male or female, you say the Lord is good. Now what can we learn from his response? Naked I came in the world and, and, and naked I will go. Uh, there's a sense where Job understands everything that I've had from God has been by grace. And let me tell you something. If you're a proud and arrogant person because you think you're smarter than everybody or you think you make more money than everybody, you're more athletic than somebody, let me tell you, everything that you and I have is a gift of God. And Job understood that. But that was enough for Job. He was not an idolater. Now let me tell you why Job should put us to shame. Because ultimately we know why. And why we should respond because there is a greater than Job. And this Job is Jesus who is innocent. And he was a man of suffering. He was a man of sorrows. And he, and he came. And everything that he did, not only would he not be rewarded for it, the promise was if you do all these things, you will be cursed. 
and he was. And because Jesus Christ was cursed and he gained nothing, how could he gain anything? He's God. He's God in the flesh for us, submitting to the Father. Because he loves us. Now let me close by saying this. You're either going to believe Satan or you're going to believe God. And if you believe in Satan, you're always going to be kind of a little bit cynical. A little bit holding back. And when all hell breaks loose on you, you'll do exactly what Jesus said in the parable that shifts out all the false believers from the true ones. You receive the word with joy, but when the trials of life came, it went away. They said, forget this. What good is it done? But when that seed of the gospel is planted in you and the promises of God in the scripture, that God has loved you and will always accept you, no matter what, you'll begin to live the great life. Do you believe the gospel? Do you believe the lie of Satan and therefore your whole life revolves around success and jobs and families? I mean, it, it really amazes me how many Christians, professing Christians, they don't even get the fact that the reason they're so miserable is because they want to be special and they're not. And they want their children to behave and they don't. And they want money and they don't have it. Come on! We have Jesus. That's why I read that text. They went out and they said, they did all the, you know, casting out demons, right, in the New Testament. And they comes back and Jesus says, do not rejoice in that. But rejoice that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. You know, uh, um, Clay, you know how you said that John 10 impacted you? You know why John 10 is so important, Clay, is because Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. I know my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and my sheep follow me. That he's the pearl of great price. Those are the men we need. We don't need moralist men. We don't need theologically sound men, even though they won't be theologically sound if they don't believe that. We need men, and when we have women leadership in our women's council, we need to have people who believe the promises of God in Jesus Christ. Do you do that this morning? Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, or is your life revolving around the idols? And therefore, you're always upset, always mad. Or you're always going, man, uh, how's your day? How are you doing? Well, better than I deserve. (laughs) But I get Jesus, not karma. Let's pray together.